Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez joining you here. Uh, and uh, by the way, Brian Murphy, normally joining us, is not joining us today because he is on his way to Tampa, as I'm sure several of you are getting ready for the 2019 well, Gasparilla actually, he Bowl. Just decommi- he decommitted last second uh, from doing this show today. So. Oh, he, oh, he did? Yeah, he decommitted and, and committed to doing probably a Marshall show. He was show, verbally so. committed to doing it, and then he just the last second changed. <laughs> so we've got uh, a little bit of talk about uh, National Signing Day. Uh, well, it's not even National Signing Day. It's early signing day, right? National Signing Day is still officially in February. Um, talk about the new recruiting class a little bit coming in. Uh, we will... Um, dive a little bit of the bowl game, talk, talk some hoops, and also um, a little feature that we're going to be doing through the holiday week uh, to try and uh, to look back on the decade in a bunch of different UCF sports, and we'll preview some of that for you. So this is a very, relatively short show. Uh, now, our actual preview show for the game against Marshall, which, will, which again, is Monday afternoon, uh, will go out on Sunday morning. Okay, so... Mark your calendars out there. Remember to refresh your feeds just to give us an extra 24 hours of preview. And then um, I'm thinking we'll probably do a post uh, a post bowl game show as well on Monday too. So, or, or at least on uh, Monday evening. So uh, remember to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore banneret, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret, and let us dive right in. Eric Lopez, it's our favorite day of the whole year, isn't it? <laughs> um the uh, now early signing period, um, UCF added UCF football added seventeen players, um, including uh, well some interesting uh, local uh, local signees, some interesting non-local signees, um, a lot of South Florida kids, especially on the defensive side of the football. Uh, Randy Shannon will do that for you. Um, Jordan Davis, the younger brother of Gabriel Davis, a 6'4 tight end, is coming to UCF. So is Stretch Creedle, a 6'4 receiver out of Carver High School in Columbus, Georgia. Uh, UCF also got a, a lineman out of Germany, um, along with a couple of other guys. Um, this, this guy, Paul Rubelt, is 6'10", 300 pounds. Um, I wonder if Johnny Dawkins was paying attention to that. Um some linemen out of uh, Key West as well, and uh, you know, just kind of looks, you know, kind of filling some spots here and there. But um, I, I'm not interested in that, Eric Lopez. What I'm interested in is the reaction to it, which uh, it, it has been, well, I don't know, tepid, shall we say? Now you know me, and we both hate recruiting news because it's ridiculous. Um, Chris Hayes of the Orlando Sentinel, however, wrote that uh, UCF's class was ranked number four in the American behind Cincinnati, Tulane, East Carolina. Um, yeah. Gave, gave UCF a C plus. Um, oh, no. I know, I know. It, it fold the program. It's all over. Um, back to mediocrity we go. Um, uh, partly based on the fact that UCF, uh, quote, lost, end quote, um, Mike Wright, the quarterback uh, out of oh, uh, no. Atlanta. What are we gonna do at quarterback? Now? I have oh, I don't wait, I have no idea. Well, exactly. So he decided to go to Vanderbilt because he looked ahead of him and saw Dylan Gabriel and saw him, you know, playing really well at UCF this year and pretty much sealing up the job for the next two to three years at the very least. Um, not really a surprise there. Uh, give me some insight here, Eric. How do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The people who are freaking out about this friggin' recruiting thing, why did, why should they just calm the hell down? Uh, because it really doesn't matter. Um, doesn't matter where 
Here's my question, everybody, that's into this crap. And, and I don't know if people notice this, but the coverage, even ESPN has toned down the coverage. It used to be that this thing would, you, it just, it was unavoidable on television. Yeah. ESPN, you um, used to be on all day with recruiting right. news. And, and they used to have all like, the live signings right. and everything. Yeah. I mean, even like the main ESPNs don't even pay attention to it. Um, and with the transfer portal, okay, with the transfer portal now in play, if you miss on certain spots on your recruiting class, you just go fix it in the in your transfer portal. So, like, people that are worried about, well, there's no quarterback in this class for UCF. What are they going to do depth-wise? They're probably just going to get a kid that's going to transfer to come here anyway. Uh, same with other positions that you might think are lacking, uh, even so, line, for example. So, 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 in other words, what you're saying is what you don't get in the draft, you can shore up via free agency, basically. Yes. Yes, that's a great analogy, and I think that's what college football has become. And I just don't think that recruiting classes, and I know it's very con- this is so controversial to say, I don't think it's the end of the world. The other thing is, <laughs> How you've dare done you? the research, and you've done the re- it, 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 you've it, you've done the research on this because I know you've written for Banneret over the last, you know, you've broken down previous classes, right? Uh, UCF, and I think you can confirm this because this has been discussed too. Everybody acts like. Every kid in this in every recruiting class is going to be great. That's not accurate. In fact, it's really a low percentage of players, right? Very that low. Are going to end up being good, right? Like, what is it? 35 percent of um, the class it, are the it, ones you're hoping to hit. Well, it depends on uh, how you view, like, like how do you term success? Okay, so like, what would be your um? When you use the word success, a successful recruit, and I'm asking you, what is the like? What would you consider a successful recruit? A kid that starts and contributes to the program and helps okay. with. Does does he have to have graduated? No, not necessarily. If the guy is able to turn pro, for example, like. You know, Gabe Davis decides to leave early. I don't think I think that's still a successful, obviously, recruit. Blake Bortles comes. I mean, Blake Bortles is probably the example of why people shouldn't flip out about recruiting classes. You were around that time working there. Did mm-hmm. anybody say, "Man, guys, guys, we got our franchise quarterback in Blake Bortles"? <laughs> Nobody said that. No, Nobody he was said. he was an afterthought when he came to UCF. He right. was, yeah. So, um. So yeah, I, 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 I've gone through the research. I've gone through classes, all the classes since 2004, because that's how far the the, uh, the 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 data goes. Um, and it all comes down to player development. Now you could say, yeah, but you have to have good enough players who are talented to develop. Of course you do. But when you have guys coming in like for that were two, three, that were max three stars, some of them two stars, who end up becoming NFL level players and draftees, as UCF has had over the years. All right, you tell me how important quote recruiting end quote is. All right, because these are players who um, have rolled through the the system and gotten better every year some of them rather late too and, and you were asking about like what's the hit rate so i would consider a successful recruit you know somebody who was so good that they left early or they spent all four years and graduated because that's really what they're coming to ucf to do right is get their degree and oh by the way but, play but, football. but i, I want to i mean again though i think they have to produce on the field you can't just sit on the bench i mean that's what is that i mean that's great but that doesn't help football. well i mean well well i mean it, it unless unless you want to I mean, if you want to really reach out and say, "Well, hey, look, they helped on the scout team, you know, whatever." Well, well, um, I mean, there there could be some other other issues behind that too. Nagging injuries that doesn't, you know, if they were a contributor to the team, they were on that senior, they walk on senior day. To me, that's a successful recruit. You got your degree, you you completed what you were supposed to do. Because sometimes you don't really have that much control. Over, like for example, let's say you come in and you're like the number one, you're the number two. Res- I, I mean, if the kid doesn't play, and well. He gets a what that's not well no I was, that's not well no here's you know. here's my here's my point what if you what if you play you come in and you and you start a few games as a freshman then all of a sudden a freshman the next year comes in takes your spot and it's just an all an all-world player okay well it didn't pan out I mean, you didn't pan out I mean that's but you stayed all not, four but you stayed all four years you got your degree and you at least prob- contributed. well I 
I think those days are over in this in the landscape now because I think now what happens is if you're not playing, you're transferring. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I think so, I think we're going to see that, and I think the data is going to change over time because of the but, but, because of the transfer but let, portal. But, yeah. here, but I think you brought up a great point, uh, and that's the key word: player development. It really doesn't matter how talented the kid is because some loser is out there in a high school stadium saying, "Man, this kid's a four star." Like doesn't matter if this kid's talented coming in. Everybody, This is the thing. Everybody in college today, in signing day, got talented at players, talented athletes, okay? Okay, so what do you do with them now? Right. All right? And, 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 and I think you can read up. Read, you grab Mark Daniels had a great tweet Wednesday about signing class and the success that UCF has had in the last few years and what their average recruiting class is. I think he said it was 58. All right. Uh, here's here's what he had. Yeah, UCF UCF's last four years, the average class rank. I got the tweet right here from the Beat of Sports. Okay, um, last four years, the average rank, average rank is fifty eighth. Okay, last four years, UCF has gone in that same span of time. UCF has gone forty and eleven, been to two New Year's Six bowl games, four bowls, two conference titles. Boise State, the last four years, their average class rank is sixtieth, two spots below UCF. Last four years, they've gone 43-10, and 10, two Mountain West titles, three title games, and four bowls. So, I don't know. Now, how would you, how would you rank me, those recruiting classes after the fact, right? Right, <laughs> right. and let me, let me compare that to a couple of brand names, okay? Texas, all right? And Urban Meyer has brought this up. We did a great job this year with Fox. Because Urban Meyer, uh, you basically took Urban – Urban Meyer agrees with you. He says if your player development is critical, mm-hmm. you know, to your recruiting – Here's Texas's recruiting rankings, okay? Texas. 2015, uh, 2015, they ranked the 10th best recruiting class in the country. 2016, 7th best recruiting class in the country. 2017, 25th. 2018, 3rd. 2019, 3rd. You know what Texas has accomplished during all that time? Bupkis. No Big 12 titles. One one kid has gone out in, in the first round of the NFL draft. I believe UCF has that many as well. Right. Mike Hughes. Um, and they've only produced 13 guys into the NFL draft during the, since 2015. In comparison, Alabama has 46. Ohio State has 40. It's great to have a top five recruiting class, top 10, top whatever. But if you don't re- develop them, okay, to helping you win ch- conference championships and bowl games and national titles – or produce them to the NFL because that's right. That's what the kid wants, right? The kid wants to go to school to help to play right away, to help to win championships, be get exposure and get ready and develop to play at the next level. Well, Texas has better recruiting classes than UCF, and yet UCF's been more successful. Why? Because UCF's done a better job of developing players right. because they get players that maybe are not the highest rated guys, but they fit what they're doing and they develop and and help them produce for the next level or produce to help them win championships uh, at their, at, in, in American and bowl games and things like that. And that's why you have to give credit to the Nick Sabans of the world, which people don't like to do because they don't like him, but that's fine. But one of the reasons why Nick Saban is arguably the greatest coach of all time is not because he's this brilliant X's and O's guy. is because he brings these players to Alabama. He recruits them, yes, no question. But he develops these guys to the point where they, they have depth, they are able to be in it every year for the national title, and they go on to the next level in the NFL. Same thing with Urban Meyer. Same thing with Clemson and Dabo Sweeney, what he's built there. It's not just because they're great recruiters. Hell, Florida State's had great recruiting classes the last handful of years. What has that done for them the last few years? Barely make a bowl game. In fact, they missed a bowl game. So I think player development, that's the word that you use that is has to be underlined. Yeah. It's not about who you got on your on the, on the team now. It's about what do you do with them and what do those players do moving forward? That's the key uh, to to the success of these classes and, and moving forward. One last note. On the 11 seasons between 2004 and 2014, okay, that that we looked at, that that all the players have graduated or moved on. Um, I'll give you an over-under as to the highest percentage of players in an individual class who – either stayed all four years and graduated and or uh, went to the NFL. We're considered basically three stars or above, according to this uh, according to this ranking system that I kind of put together. 
where the bare minimum is you played and finished your career at UCF, um, and that's that's your three star, and then your five star is like star player, NFL pick, may not have stayed all four years. What was the uh, of all, of those eleven years? I'll give you a guess. Which was the which was the highest percentage in a single year? Uh, what 2010, 2009? Well, two thousand fourteen is the year, but you get you guess the percentage. Thirty five. Seventy percent. Wow. Seventy percent. That was twenty fourteen. Seventeen players. Uh, thirteen of them actually either graduated from UCF and or left were good enough that they left early for the NFL, made all conference, something like that. 2010 was 65, 2004 was 63, 2006 was 61. Okay? So those are your those are your hits. Um on average, it's about it, it's a shade over 50% out of out yeah, of that so you're entire 50, 50. you got to hit you, every kid is yeah. 50 it is a it is literally a 50-50 proposition. So um it, it's so yeah, I mean my thought on that is player development. It's all about player development and that's how good your well, coaches and that comes well, down to your coaching staff. Right. And this is and, and going back to this year's class, this is why Randy Shannon is on the staff. Really right. more so than being a defensive coach, to be honest, is recruiting in South Florida. And down in Miami. Why? Because with all due respect to uh, Central Florida high school football, it's junior varsity compared to down south. Uh, and that was proven again in the high school state championships when teams from Dade, Broward, Palm Beach went seven for seven in state championships. They just produce better players. Uh, there's more talent down there than there is in Central Florida. I And you know, there's been issues that have been brought up about Central Florida high school in particular about the lack of pay for coaches, uh, and that as a result, that's helped hurt development of players. In fact, Urban Meyer went on with Colin Cowherd and talked about that in depth, that Florida has some issues with pay as far as coaches, and as a result, the talent, while if Florida is not fully developed, so when they come to college, you still have, they're, they're not, they're kind of raw in some cases. There's exceptions to that, and he pointed out to schools in South Florida that are already more developed because they have better coaches, they spend more money on it. Uh, so I, the fact, if you're asking me, Jeff, to just bet here, I'm betting on those kids that they got from South Florida that they're going to pan out more than other kids in this class, just because of the pedigree uh, and the and the and and just that's how the, how they're produced down there in South Florida. So that's the thing that I like a lot about this class. Uh, we'll see how that pans out. Now I'm going to put on my sports talk radio host hat for a second here, Jeffrey. Just right. a second. <laughs> Just a second. My old days have had. Let me ask you this question to the audience as well. If we didn't rank these recruiting classes, all right, we just didn't recruit. We didn't rank them. We just said, hey, this is your class. This is mm-hmm. it. No, no rankings. Would anybody care? Yeah, some people. Like heavy donors would care. How much of this is influenced, though? Don't you think a lot of this is influenced by the rankings, right? We get sucked into this. like The, the rankings are have way too much influence. Way right. too but much influence. It's, it's funny because, right, we, we, we complain in August. Oh, these preseason polls are a joke. Well, how can you rank teams? We haven't played a game yet. We should wait. But the reason there's preseason polls is because people get excited about it. They get sucked into it. Like, oh, hey, that's number 10. We like polls as, an, as, as people. And I think it's the same thing with signing day. I don't think if we ha- if we didn't have uh, rankings of recruiting classes, I think people would like you would have your diehards are like, oh, okay, that's great. I think ninety nine percent of people wouldn't care, but because there is a number next to that class, people are going to react either positively or negatively based on that ranking. Yeah, like your point, like like with all due respect to Hayes, and I, you know, I've, I have no issues with Hayes. I've talked to him, and he's a nice guy and all. How do you grade that? Like, what do you mean it's a C plus? Like, they haven't played a snap in college. We how do you know? Like, right. What does that mean? Like, how many of those guys are even going to are even going to play a snap in college? That's the other thing. You, you, you know, got right. you got some guys who who is, is uh, going through the history of it. Some guys come in as like four stars. They don't even show up to school. Right. We had UCF. I mean, the the, the infamous one. And I'm I'm drawing a blank. We had the linebacker that was like a four a star from Colorado, uh, Willingham. I think it was his name or. And he never played a snap here. Never played a snap, um, yeah. And, and 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 the thing that doesn't happen enough, okay, and this is what drives me nuts about this, 
what really when these classes should be ranked is like four years from now. That's when you should rank them. You know, like what we do on blackandgoldbanneret.com. <laughs> Correct. No, I'm serious. And, 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 you know, and some, you know, ESPN from time to time, what they'll do is, hey, look at the teams that won the national title. And oh, it, it really matters. Yeah, but you don't read, you don't tell me like the rankings of teams that go five and seven. It's you know a self, I mean? yeah, it's a self fulfilling, it's a self fulfilling prophecy every single time. Right. right. So I think that's the better time. That's when you can rank these classes, but we don't do that. Now, in fairness, it, this also happens with the NFL draft, right? We're going to do this in May, April or May, whenever the NFL draft is. People are going to grade your New York Giants, Jeffrey, how they did in the draft without even the kid taking a snap in the NFL, when in reality the draft should be judged five years from. But we don't do that because we need to know now. Yeah, like, know you, now. like you, Mr. Mr. Lopez, with my, with, with my guy Daniel Jones, okay? Well, I'm just going to point out Eli Manning's looked better in the last Knock year. it off. I love Eli. Hey, I'm, I'm an Eli supporter. Uh <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so but no, my but, but the point is, and, and you no, but that's a great point though. Let, let's bring up forget the Daniel Jones. I actually want to bring up the Saquon Barkley. People were second guessing the Giants passing on Sam Darnold uh, and taking Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley is the way better football player. Like, what are you yeah. talking about? Just because you value the quarterback position more doesn't mean you have to take the kid. But because you graded Sam Darnold higher than Saquon Barkley, you're going to judge that. I think that's too much. You're right. There's too much influence on that. And um, so I would say that people just need to relax on that stuff. And I, again, I don't think this class is done because I think there's going to be guys that are going to transfer in uh, come the new year. And let me ask the last thing I'll say, I know we got to move on. Mm-hmm. Do you, th- I'm wondering if coaches like this December signing day, because I think one thing that hurt UCF clearly a little bit was Jeff Levy leaving to Ole Miss, and nobody blames him. It's a great move. It's a, he's going to call plays over there. It's a great move. If signing day was in February, like it used to be, only, well, then you would have had time to find your coordinator, and maybe you. I mean, maybe you get the kid back. Maybe you don't. Who knows? But what's happening college football now? Like you got like Mike Norvell and all these other coaches are getting hired at new places and are scrambling three to five days just to get to make sure they have a class. I think that's bad for the sport, and I and I think. I don't know if this has been good for the sport overall. Some might argue, hey, you know, you've got your classes, but like February's becoming is irrelevant now, right? And signing day, like I think I saw the stat where like 80, 85 percent of your recruiting classes are signed in December. Then, you know, well, I think I think the problem, I think the problem is so the coaches fought for this early signing period for a long time. Even George O'Leary said that he was a a year in and year out said the same thing. I wish we had an early signing period, and when they finally got it. I think it's it's sort of one of those things where you like be careful what you wish for you just might get it because they got it but it happens at this time during coaching transition I think that the coaches I'll have to talk to more coaches about this but I think if we ask the coaches they would say yeah we want the early signing period but we didn't want it this late we wanted it earlier I'd be interested to talk to a bunch of coaches maybe we'll do this in the off season and ask them if you could wave a magic wand and have the early and change the date of the early signing period where would it be and i would bet you they would rather have the early signing period before opening day because what you can do is lock up your next year's recruiting class and then you don't have to babysit them through the football season you can focus on the football season and then the spring becomes transfer portal season and uh, and if kids you know change their it, it, it change their mind or an injury happens or whatnot, then you can then you can work on that through the transfer portal. But you're not having to spin all those plates at once. I don't know. What do you think? I'm I'm curious to find out from coaches. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, people are giving South Florida a hard time because I guess they have the quote unquote worst recruiting class in the, the American Conference. Well, Jeff Scott just got there. Right. He just got there. So, he hasn't. He, he, in, in, in some ways, he hasn't even gotten there. He's probably living in a hotel right now. Right. I mean, so, and there's probably you know, and it tells you. I think Char- there was not a lot of great talent coming from the Charlie Strong class. I mean, so I, I just think it's a hard thing. Now, the counter to that might be, hey, the players might like it because hey, they're guaranteed of getting that scholarship. They don't have to wait two months more and maybe get flipped. You know, things like that. So, and maybe some coaches like that. The fact that hey, they don't have to worry about a kid flipping in February, type of thing. So, um, and maybe by if the kid flips in December, now you have an extra couple of months to recover from that instead of in February where you're like, oh, crap, you know? Right. So maybe there's pluses and minuses, but I am kind of curious 
to your point, like how everybody really feels about it and if there's going to be some tweaks about this down the road. Yeah, well, I would love to talk to some of the coaches in the offseason about this. Anyway, um, we got some coverage from Murph on uh, on the signees on the, on the site. I'm also going to take a look back at the 2015 class here this week. Um, some interesting names came through that uh, 2015 class. This, this is a class that signed right before the winless season. Navelle uh, Clark was part of that class. Uh, Tyler Hudanik, Brandon Hayes, um, Pat Jasinski, Taj McGowan. A lot of interesting names through that class. So we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna recap that for you as well. Doing just what you said, and uh, of course, don't forget the Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa in four days, 2:30 p.m. kick on Monday. UCF against Marshall. Uh, lots of events through Tampa. I know that UCF has. Uh, uh, their own site where they're sending everybody to go through the whole um, uh, to go through all of the uh, for all the bowl events and things they're doing and I do say that you know UCF does a, or rather ESPN does a very good job in making these really good events um, and so uh, and so it's definitely um, if you're heading down there it's definitely worth uh, checking out they got a, they got a, the Bush Gardens day is actually today um, where both teams are hanging out at Bush Gardens um, they're doing the beach invasion on Saturday, a pep rally on Sunday, and then and then game day is uh, is Monday. So uh, make sure you check it out. If you're down there, have a good time. Be safe down there, and we will preview the football game between UCF and Marshall on Sunday morning. So uh, be there uh, for that. All right, quick break. Come back. We'll talk about basketball. And some other news on this rather on this relatively abbreviated Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Stick around, we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. We're back here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you. Murph's got the day off. Remember, we'll have another show on Sunday previewing the bowl game. But first, let's make sure re- you follow him. By the way, make sure yes. you follow him on Twitter because he's going to be. He's in Tampa. He's covering UCF. That's why he's not with us as we're recording this episode. Uh, he's in Tampa, obviously getting all media availability and all the bowl festivities. Right, Spokes underscore Murphy on Twitter. Spokes underscore Murphy on Twitter. Uh, make sure you follow him. Make sure you follow. Us, Eric Lopez, Elo, Jeff underscore Sharon. Make sure you follow Luke Saris at Luke Saris SBN. Make sure you follow Derek Warden at underscore DS Warden. He's pumped out some really good photo galleries the last over the last month, and you really should check him out. Um, Jeremy Brenner at Jeremy Brenner for your UCF news, especially as as it pertains to the NFL, and also if you happen to be a Houston Rockets fan. Um, and uh, also uh, Anthony Lenahan, Squints15 on Twitter. Um, to squints underscore 15. So uh, let's flip over to basketball, UCF men's basketball. We will start with real quick. Last night got a bit of a scare. Last night was Wednesday night. Got a bit of a scare from Bethune Cookman, of all people. Uh, nice got the victory to go to 9-2, and two, but 70-65 to 65 was the score. And this is the last non-conference game before they head on the road to Oklahoma. And then the game after Oklahoma is the conference opener against Temple on New Year's Eve. But um, uh, UCF trailed by 13 in this game at the half, 34-21, um, and then ripped off 49 second-half points to win 70-65. Um, to 65. Uh, Leading scorers for UCF, Cesar De Jesus uh, was 17 to lead um, to lead UCF, actually to lead uh, all scorers except for uh, Malik Maitland, who was... Who had 23 off the bench for Cookman? Um, UCF held Bethune to just uh, 33% from the field in the second half, while the Knights shot 64% in the second half. That's after a 25% first half. Um, Brandon Mahan was in double figures off the bench uh, uh, with 11 points. Colin Smith had 10 um, and fouled out of the game, actually. Uh, and days on Ingram. Uh, nine points, nine rebounds, three assists. Kind of one of those like mini LeBron games where he kind of fills up the stat sheet once again. 
So, um, so uh, and Darren Green was actually struggling from the outside, uh, as was Matt uh, Matt uh, Milan uh, and Frank Burt. So really, the outside shot is what abandoned UCF. Those three guys combined were two of eighteen from beyond the arc. UCF as a team was five of twenty four from three point range. But uh, Elo, this game was bizarre, and uh, and a lot of people were freaking out. You know, down thirteen at the half, but then they rip off. 49 in the second half. Um, encouraging, discouraging. I don't know how you would characterize this one. I would just say it's a, it's a game. You want, you move on. <laughs> a win uh, is a win is a win. <laughs> yeah, well, especially this season in college basketball. If anybody's followed the sport this year, it's one of the most craziest thing I've ever seen in this sport. I've followed college basketball since the late 80s. I've never seen a season like this where everybody's losing to everybody. And it I is mean, a I mean, weird, weird year. You look at like, like the top twenty-five and who's who's lost already. I mean, it's well, and some it's of the bizarre. losses. I mean, Kentucky lost to an Evansville. Uh, Duke losing to Stephen F. Austin. LSU at the buzzer in Cameron, nonetheless. <laughs> Correct. LSU on Wednesday night lost to East Tennessee State at home. Uh, Cincinnati with a debacle loss to Colgate at home in one of the most just craziest ways to lose C- the yeah. game. I've yeah, never C- seen Murphy. Cincinnati Cincinnati completely blew a game to a toothpaste company. I mean, it's weird. And then bounced back a handful of days later and beat Tennessee. Right. Um, so my point is, this is not a year where you should be nitpicking wins or losses because everybody's beating everybody. I don't think there's any great teams out there. and I think we're seeing that. So I take the win. I watched the first half. It was ugly. There's no, you know, sugarcoating it. But they did bounce back. They got the win. And I think the big thing I take away from this game is that Mahan, uh, I thought, was tremendous, gotten double figures in scoring, and Dejan Ingram had a big second half. And I think that's important for this team moving forward because even through all these the, the wins prior to this game, they both have not been much of a factor offensively mm-hmm. the last few games. So I think they need those two guys to contribute offensively alongside a Colin Smith alongside the Jesus, who's probably been the best, most improved player from last year. I mean, he's been a really nice play to had a heck of a year so far. Uh, you know, you got the two kids and in, in, in Darren Green and Dre Fuller who are freshmen, and they're going to be up and down. And so I think, I think it was p- pivotal that Mahan and Ingram stepped up big time. And even Matt Malone, who has struggled with his shot, uh, I thought gave him some quality minutes in that Bethune game with some rebounding. He hit some, a couple of shots. Uh so I, I think that's the encouraging thing I'm going to take away from this instead of worried about, oh, my God, they almost lost to the third. Those are the things that I look at more than uh, – because I think those things matter now moving forward more than, hey, what happened against the third. Eight guys played a minimum of 16 minutes in this game. So there's the, so Johnny Dawkins is really using his rotations um, frequently and trying to get the right um, – uh, trying to get the right mix for whatever matchup he, he has in there. Now, we did find out after the game that, um, that well, I don't want to say UCF is going to be shorthanded in the second half of the season because they never really had him to begin with. Uh, Uat Alok, who is the transfer from TCU, um, qu- uh, supposedly a quality big man, he um, apparently is, is academically ineligible. And he won't play, and is uh, and, and he will not play for UCF this season. Um, and a lot of people looking at that saying, "Oh man, that's a real blow." But my take on that is, well, you're already developing a pretty good chemistry in the guys that are there now, okay? And so to throw, I mean, sure, it might have been nice to have an extra big body in there, but that's a double-edged sword too, because if you throw it, uh, throw this new guy who's going to demand the ball on the inside all of a sudden. Um, that might throw a wrench into what you've been working on to the tune of nine wins in 11 games so far. Now, I mean, we could see them get completely outsized against Oklahoma and then at at conference play and then like, oh, well, (laughs) so much for that. But um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I mean, you know, obviously you got to get the college part of college basketball right. But um, it's, I'm, I'm not exactly shedding a, tear so much on this it's like hey, look, you know it didn't work out okay what do you what about you on that one yeah it's hard to say you never played so right like you don't, how do you we know, know? I mean, <laughs> right you know? i mean 
like you said, how would he have fit in on this team? You know, would it could have helped? I think so, probably. But we, you know, by the way, Avery Diggs, if, if, Avery Diggs has been great. I mean, you know, in terms of the big being a big man out there, um, uh, Ibrahim Famuke Dumbia as well is getting some getting right. some mop up minutes here right. and there. It would be different. It would have been different if he was playing and then he got and then he was ineligible. Right. right, like if he played games and then he was in LA, that's different. That's now you got to. Yeah, adjust. if he was averaging like fifteen so, and seven, and then all of a sudden, oh geez, you know, but he, right. but he never so played. No, right, it is what it is. Um, but you know, this team has playing and they move forward. So if anything, now there's closure on that, and you move forward. You know who you have, and you move forward and you play and you try to get better. And now you get ready for a really a big test against an Oklahoma team that's going to be voted very motivated because they've lost two in a row. They lost at Wichita State. They lost at Creighton. They're seven and three. They're a dynamic offense. Uh, they're seven and three on the year, and I think, you know, this is a fascinating game because I think now where this is a good barometer to see where this team is, go prior to going into conference play. Uh, yeah. Jeffrey. Well, OU is seven and three, like you said. Losers of two straight on the road, including a game against against a, a team in the American, which tie eighty to seventy five was the final there. Uh, they start conference play on. January 4th. This is actually their second to last non-conference uh, game. It, it's uh, it, This game will be in Norman. Hostile environment. Um, their leading scorer right now. Trying Austin to, Reeves. He's Austin got Reeves, yeah. 0.7 per game. Kristen Doolittle averages 17 a game as well with nine rebounds. Uh, Brady Manak. Uh, 14 points. I mean, this is by far the best team UCF's played so far. Yeah, definitely, and and obviously the Big Ten or the Big 12 competition that they're that they're a part of it, it makes a makes a big difference. But uh, even though I I think Oklahoma's um, non conference schedule has been very very soft, but um, yeah, aside from Stanford and Missouri, who they're one on one against, they really haven't done much against anybody. Um, I mean, Wichita State's good. Creighton's pretty good. Big East. I mean, it's not you know. I, I think there's still questions. I mean, I think Oklahoma right now could be a fringe NCAA tournament team. Lon Kruger, obviously the head coach, mm-hmm. um, who's former Gator head coach, former Atlanta Hawk head coach. He's done a good job at Oklahoma. What they don't have, they don't have that Buddy Heald guy, right? They right. don't have a Trey Young, although I think Trey Young's the most overrated basketball player out there. But that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> you know, feel free to make some. Make feel free to make your teammates better once in a while. Um, they don't have that guy franchise blue chipper that can carry you to a final four like buddy hill did uh as good as austin reeves is as good as doolittle is they're not at that level and i think that's what's missing from oklahoma but that being said uh they're still talented enough and i think it's a good test for them because ucf's going to see a bunch of teams similar in the in the league play so i actually like the way coach Dawkins scheduled this to have oklahoma prior to your conference opener at home against temple on new year's eve because now you know what you're going to you're going to have to work on right after Oklahoma, for good or for bad. Uh, I wouldn't overreact to the result one way or the other. I think it's more of, okay, where do we stand now? How does our defense match up against a team like Oklahoma that has guys that can put the ball in the basket? Probably the best offensive team they're going to have seen here. Oklahoma averages about 76 points per game. So I don't think UCF wants to get into a game in the 70s, 80s. I, I think that's not in their best interest. I think they would prefer this game to be in the 60s and play defense. That's the identity that's been under Coach Dawkins here at UCF. So I think for those are the things that I'm looking forward to seeing to see how this team handles being on the road. How can they defend a team like Oklahoma? Can they rebound? Uh, and how do they execute offensively on the road against a team like Oklahoma? Right. And that game, by the way, 2 p.m. Uh, and it will be televised on officially Fox Sports Oklahoma. Has anyone picked that up um, locally? I mean, I guess you I, I, I haven't seen anything on that. Would that I, well, that would be no. It wouldn't be an ESPN Plus game because it's Fox, right? Yeah. So um, I don't might know where be we. Well, it might be ESPN three, maybe ESPN Plus. I don't know. We'll have to. I don't uh, know where we would. I don't know where we'd be able to pick that check up. Your but, game no, check your game notes on UCFnights.com yeah. on Friday when it comes out. Yeah. So and we know this. It'll be on the radio on ninety six yep. nine. That's right. Um, we have uh, also checking on the women's team. They finally they their long break came to an end with a home game against Quinnipiac, and they looks like looks like they took care of business. Now Quinnipiac is only one and six coming in, but um, but you know that's what you, this is what you're supposed to do to a one and six team. Eighty to fifty eight was the final. UCF women uh, women's basketball gets the victory. Um, how about Brittany Smith? Twenty five minutes, 
6 of 7 from the field, 18 points, 10 rebounds, and she was 6 of 7 at the line. Uh, big, best game she's played as UCF Knight yet. Uh, and she was also picked up by Masni Kaba, who had 13 points, 3 blocks, 2 steals, 2 assists, 7 rebounds, and a partridge in a pear tree. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, KK Wright once again came off the bench to score 16 on 6 of 12, including 4 of 4 at the line. Um, four nights were in double figures. Also, Cortesia Sanders uh, pitched in with another dozen. As UCF um, shot, uh, where's the number? There it is, 42% from the field uh, and held Quinnipiac to 38. Uh, and, uh, and and just really took it to him on the glass, by the way. 22-4, to four, UCF on the second chance. Uh, on the second chance opportunities, UCF out-rebounded them 43-29. They just did what they were supposed to do to an MAAC team. And uh, that got UCF, uh, the UCF women above 500. Now they're at five and four, and it still feels though, Eric, like they're trying to fight off some, fight off the injury bug a little bit, especially with KK coming off the bench still. But they've got a holiday tournament coming up uh, on Friday and Saturday, St. Mary's and Wright State, respectively, at home in the afternoon before we head into the Christmas week. So, um, and then they play Central Michigan. We don't see them again for another nine days when they play Central Michigan. So. Um, Kind of, I, I think they they kind of feel like they're kind of treading water through the non-conference play, getting ready to pounce come conference time, don't you? Yeah, but believe it or not, folks, someone here is going to press a panic button, and it's not Jeffrey for a change. Who knew? You're are you going to press the panic button? Yeah, I am. I don't okay. Know why? Uh, and it's not really you know. I agree with you. I, I, they're kind of treading water. That's kind of a problem. I mean. The first RPI came out in women's basketball this week. Okay. Uh, kind of got lost in the shuffle because the net, everybody's favorite, the net came out in men's basketball, which that one, we we should wait. We're not even going to discuss that because we got to, that thing kind of, you got to wait a few weeks before it sorts itself out because it's kind of crazy. Right. Women's basketball. And normally I don't get too caught up in the RPI this early, but there's this, this is a trend that I, I do not like. Okay. Now here's the positive. UConn is number one. I know it's a shocker. UConn's number one in the RPI, all right, no. for the league. That's good. You know, big shock, I know. And, you know, 9 and up. You know who the second highest rated RPI team is right now in the league? In the American? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I got to admit, I cheated and I looked this up. I believe it's Temple, and they're at, it num- and they're at number 67. 67. They're 6 at 5 overall. 67. UCF's at 99. As we speak, Houston's 108, South Florida 119, Memphis 126, Cincinnati 135, uh, Wichita State 141. My point is, here's my concern. Where are the quality games in the league? That's where I'm worried about. Like, where is this? How are you going to get quality wins in this league if you don't beat UConn? I'm, I'm surprised and disappointed that, you know, it would be different. Like, hey, there's teams in the fit. And look, obviously – as you win more games, you move up. So some of these, you hope that some of these teams kind of get hot here, finish strong, and start moving up. But I'm concerned, Jeffrey, that I don't know if this league right now is more. It, it might not be more than a one bid league this year, unless somebody really gets hot here and goes on a run in conference play, similar to what UCF did last year, where they did not lose. Uh, I don't believe. I think they only lost one conference game outside of the UConn games. That's my concern. You mentioned the treading water. Like, boy, I mean, we're going to – God, I wish we would have had that UCLA game back or not. So I think it's pivotal for this team to finish strong in non-conference, win out, and then start conference really well because there may not – the, the, there might be a thin, thin line here as far as how to make the NCAA tournament, unfortunately, for this league. Yeah. And, you know, it's disappointing. We had Coach Abon, and I, you know, we talked about it. Like, I think this was an important year for the league to show that they're going to be fine without UConn when UConn departs for the Big East. And man, I'm, just, I'm not seeing I saw it. The, <laughs> I, when I saw the numbers come out, I'm like, oh boy. So well, I, I think I, I'm concerned. I'm very concerned. I, I don't. I don't know that the. T- I don't think we can evaluate the top half of the league as as bad just yet because, like you said, there's still it still feels like the RPI also has to shake itself out a little better. But the bottom of the league looks really bad. 
like really bad. I, I, I mean, I'm looking at Tulsa, whose RPI is 276. How bad is that? Well, there are 351 teams. Um, and not far away from them, by the way, is ECU at 272. Um, that's nah. And, and they're, they're, these are teams that have three wins on their schedule that are hovered, hovering around teams that have one and in some cases no wins on their schedule. That is really scary. Uh, SMU's at 200. That's going to hurt you. Um, yeah, I, the, the teams on the bottom look like they're going to be really bad in the American. Now, I hope I'm and wrong. That's a as, problem. And that's a problem because that yeah. caps you. That right. caps you. And, 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 and that's, that's, the, that's, my, that's my point. You're, I mean, that's the, you know, even if some of the teams like a Cincinnati, South Florida, UCF, I think will step up and their, and their RPIs will move up. Let's say they're only in the 50s, let's say. Well, now all of a sudden you got to play a team that's in the two hundred fifty, two hundred. You better win that game, and even if right. you win that game, you're not going to improve that much. That's my concern. You know, whereas last year UCF, you know, they were pretty high already in the RPI, so they had a really good non-conference year from a wins-loss standpoint. And even though they didn't have a quote marquee win, they played like Quinnipiac, for example. They're usually good, actually. But the right. problem is this year Quinnipiac's a rebuilding year, so now all of a sudden UCF gets hurt by that. Uh huh. And, and that's kind of the luck of the draw sometimes with the schedule. And uh, so, yeah, that's, you know, I, I think I think this, at most, I think this league's a two-bid league. They got a, and, and the problem is, normally you're like, well, you know, hey, there's always the conference tournament. Um, yeah, that's at the, yeah, that's at Mohican at UConn for one more year. So, right. <laughs> yeah, good luck. I wouldn't, I wouldn't depend on that. Uh, Have fun with that. that. Uh, uh, so, you know, you know, that's, that's, that's the the interesting dynamic. Now, the good news for UCF is they do play UConn twice, and that's why I've always said it's a positive. Even though, even if you lose both of those games, you're going to improve RPI. If you're able to somehow upset, that's a hell of a trump card to have. I'll yeah. Tell you that. Well, St. Mary's uh, and then Wright State are on the are on the slate. Actually, Wright State is right in the right next to UCF. Actually, two spots ahead of them right now in the RPI. The Wright State's at ninety seven. UCF's at 99. Um, I was looking for St. Saint, Saint Mary's. So they're, they're actually struggling themselves at 153, at least at the moment. Again, take that RPI ranking with a grain of salt. But, um, you know, if you're UCF now, it, it's it's kind of like a first weekend of the NCAA thing. Take care of business. All right? Um, knock the two of them out. Take care of Central Michigan nine days later. Rest up. Get healthy. Conference play starts January 5th uh, against ECU. And like we said earlier, ECU, uh, they are they are not good. 272 to start the season, and UCF gets them at home. And then they go to Cincinnati at 135, and, and that's before playing UConn. So it's your chance to kind of pad to kind of pad the numbers a little bit before you head uh, before you you face the Huskies at home. Yeah, the biggest thing you got to do is improve the win loss record because that does help your RPI. I mean, that's yeah. part of the reason why their UCF's down is they're only, they're just got it above 500 as you mentioned. Um, if you win more, you'll move up at the RPI. But man, I, I just think there's not a lot of room for error. Unfortunately, they win those five games. They're ten and four heading into the UConn game. So good goal. It's a good goal to have, and and uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, four of those five are at home, and the one uh, is and the one is at Cincinnati. They got seven days before that game, so it's not like it's a back to back road trip. So, all right, so that's the women's basketball slate for you. Uh, some volleyball news: McKenna Melville earning AVCA All American honorable mention. She was also AVCA All Regional. Um, I didn't think it was possible for her to improve. Um, but she did <laughs> uh, this year and uh, is just, to, for my money, the best two-weight player that we've seen at UCF in a very, very long time uh, who's not a middle. Um, Jordan Pingle, McKenna Melville. Uh, by the way, back-to-back honorable mentions for McKenna Melville. Um, she is the first UCF player to do that since Delana Sarden, and Delana did it three years in a row, 2012, 13, and 14. Hey, Delana, hope you're listening. Um, and then, uh, of course, Jordan Pingle won got honorable mention uh, last year as well. So, um, congrats to McKenna on that one. I can't wait to see what she's going to come up with next year because uh, yeah. she just gets better. Uh, she just gets better and better. 
And uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, I mean, first, shout out to Sean Asher, media relations and yep. volleyball. He did a great press release. He listed every honorable mention UCF's ever had, going back to Jenny Frank in 2003, who was the first um, in program history. So mm-hmm. I think that salute to him on that. Here's my question to you. Okay. Because um, also it was a start. Congrats, by the way. Jordan Thompson, first team All-American. As she should um, be. But, you know, it shocked me to, to learn that she hadn't been. <laughs> she was like third team All-American, uh, I believe, last year, and then was an honorable mention her fresh uh, one other year. Uh, but so certainly earned first team All-American, I mean, best player ever. So here's my, my, my question to you. What do you think will it take? And let's be real about this. A lot of this is somewhat polit- political because – a lot of players that play in the brand volleyball programs will always get benefit of the doubt and end up on the first, second, and third teams. That being said, in the next two years, what's the key for McKenna to maybe become the first UCF volleyball player ever to be a, either a third-team All-American, a second-team, maybe first-team? I think she's got the up potential to do that. What's the key there in the, to take that step? Uh, be a senior, I think. <laughs> um, the reason why I say that is because is because of what you just mentioned, Jordan Thompson. Um, all those years that she was not a first-team All-American, including last year where she was just as phenomenal as she was this year. Um, it's hard to be a first-teamer when you're an underclassman in a non-power league. It just is. Uh, you and, and look at the numbers that Jordan had to put up this year alone just to get that. Um mind-blowing kill numbers, uh, mind-blowing uh, swing numbers. It's, uh, I mean, we, I've looked at the scorecards with with the coaches and, and we're looking at them like, like, that's not even, that's not even right. Like, how do you, how do you ask a player to, to do that that do many times? you think team success also, like, like Cincinnati Massive factor, run. yes. Yeah, yeah. Massive factor. And I, and I hate that, by the way, for the record, but I think you're right. I, I hate that. I think it should be based on the, like, if Cincinnati loses in the second round to Pitt or in the first round. I don't think that that, mean, that means that Jordan Thompson's a lesser player. And I think she should have still been a first-team All-American. But I think you're right. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't know if that's the case, really. I, I think it's, it more has to do with, you know, it, it, you got to kind of roll through that regular season essentially unencumbered uh, so that you so that everyone kind of sits up and t- around the country who votes on this sits up taking notes. Oh, wow. You know, UCF is wow. UCF is twenty three yeah, and two, or something like that. You know what I mean? But the way they the way they uh, they kind of announced the award because they announced this right prior to the final four in volleyball. So, like for example, let's go hypothetical. Let's say McKenna Melville has a monster match and they upset Florida and they get to the Sweet Sixteen. Maybe that gets her a third team All American. I don't think that should be the case. I think it should be for the overall body of work, like you said, the regular season. But I do wonder if some of these voters are impacted. And we would have to ask coaches, and we got to talk to a lot of coaches this offseason, Jeff, make a note. Um, yeah. I do wonder if the postseason has influenced some of this because I agree with you. Like, I was, and you bring it up. Like, what was the difference between Jordan Thompson this year and last year? I mean, she was still the same great player. Now, you could argue that Cincinnati won the regular season title, whereas last year they didn't. Uh, maybe that's a factor, um, perhaps. But. You know, does the fact that she went to the Sweet 16 impacted her being on first team, whereas if they didn't, maybe she's a second teamer. Who knows? I hope not, but my mind does wonder about that, and I wonder that for McKenna here in the next two years if her chances of being a first, second, or third team All-American might be tied into what UCF not only does in the regular season, but in the postseason. Well, to a person, if you ask any of the coaches in, in the league, on any team, UCF, you know, Tulane, you name it, if they if you you know if you say what do you what do you think about Jordan getting you know, first team All America this year and not last year they'd be like it's about doggone time come on what are we waiting for here so um, that was that was my thought on that as far as McKenna is concerned um, you know it's, it's it's not like her name isn't out there it is she's in the Team USA system um, we've seen two years worth of her uh, of her prowess as UCF has. You know, had two very good years these past two seasons, 32-2 and two in conference combined. Um, and in addition to that, you know, she's been, uh, and she's been the catalyst for that. Okay, so she's not an unknown 
quantity. And I think that now we've seen her two years in a row, people are going to start to really notice. Uh, and then again, it comes down to how well the team does in the regular season well, these last two years. The other thing that will help her too is that Jordan Thompson's no longer in the league. Cause she's That's also true. Next, because, <laughs> no, you're right. Because the next two years, she'll be the, probably the preseason favorite for player of the year in the league. And that does matter as well. I mean, yeah. um, you know, one of the reasons why I could speak from a softball experience, Allison Kime was never an All-American. Well, one of the reasons why she wasn't was because she didn't win Pitcher of the Year because Angel Shamblin was in the freaking league at the same time from Houston. Right. So that hurts your cause when you're an All-American um, case. So I I think that's another factor also to bring up is that what's hurt Melville maybe the first – not hurt her. I mean, I think she's kind of been properly placed perhaps maybe. You know, is the fact that Jordan Thompson has been the player of the year – the last uh, two previous two years, and now if she wins maybe player of the year the next two years, that'll help her cause as well to move up in the All-American. Yeah. And I think she's warranted. I think she's the best vo- – I've, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think she's the best volleyball – UCF volleyball player I've ever seen in person. And uh, I think if she continues the track that she is, I think she'll end up, like you said, being the best volleyball player of all time. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward. And that's the exciting thing is we'll get to see her for two more years. Yeah. All right, so um, we've got that. And then, uh, uh, by the way, at some point, McKenna Melville is going to earn her place onto a UCF All-Decade Team segue. But not yet, because right now we are doing uh, All-Decade Teams for every sport that we can possibly muster here in Black and Gold Banner. We're going to release these after the bowl game. We just want to give you a little bit of preview. She will be on All-Decade Team. We'll find out. Quite possibly. Um, and uh, we're looking for it, it'll be the decade of the 2010s. Uh, actually, she probably actually she probably will be on that that all decade team. But look for this after the bowl game as we head toward the holidays. Eric, you and I are going to be working on this. Murph is going to be working on it. Um, we're getting input from everybody on the staff, um, and uh, we wanted to tease that to you because uh, you know, like we said, it's going to be the holidays, but we're going to have some fun content for you coming out as we approach the end of the 2010s. Um, Eric, I've taken a look at some of the ones that you've got in there. I, I have no disagreements with any of them. Uh, but just for, just to give you an idea, what was the toughest call out of all of them so far? Wow, which sport? <laughs> any sport, I mean, you name it. You know, football, obviously, there's a defensive back. Let's start with there, huh? Yeah. We had a, I mean, we're defensive back you. And there were some great defensive backs, including one from the NFL. It's currently in the NFL. That I left off. Yeah. Um, that's how good and deep the defensive backs have been at UCF this decade. That's the hardest one by far. Um, the other one, uh, without giving too much away, the running back position. Because I think what we saw this decade in the running back position, a lot of two backs, you know what I mean? Like, not we, the days of Kevin Smith carrying the ball every 30, 40 times are over. You had two backs splitting time a lot of the majority of this decade. So it was hard at this all right, differentiate, well, who's your top backs of the decade? I think those are the two in football <clears throat> that stood out to me that I spent a lot of time thinking about as far as tough decisions and leaving out some good players. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be pro- we'll be uh, releasing those, I think, day by day, kind of, and, and we'd love to know your yeah, reaction really to them. Yeah, we're really excited about and- this project. Yes. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, a lot of hours have been spent. Uh, as soon as Jeff sent out the group email, he kind of sucked me in on it. I pretty much, I don't even, I don't, I don't I'm not even going to, I mean, I lost five minutes to... later, you had five minutes later, you had like six of them already filled out. It was crazy. Oh, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, did you it, think about it for a second? <laughs> I, well, the problem is I was kind of thinking about it before you brought it up. I was like, man, right. I wonder if I should do an article. And then boom, you just came up. Hey, what do you think we should? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, since you brought it up, <laughs> this is what I got. <laughs> and, uh, the Irie, yeah, it's it's uh, it was pretty amazing. Not just football, obviously, is going to get a lot of attention. Uh, the other sports were fascinating as well uh, to just go through that. And uh, it's just uh, it, the one thing we will say, and I don't know if we'll ever do it. We might we might even do a special podcast on the decade that was. Mm-hmm. But best decade ever in the history of the UCF athletics. Best I mean, right? decade ever. I don't think we're breaking news with that. <laughs> right. Um. And I, I trust a lot of great, incredible athletes have come over here in every sport. So, yeah, yeah, we're, I'm looking excited about that project. Look for that, as you mentioned, on Black and Go Banneret after the bowl games are done uh, up in Tampa. Uh, it's an exciting project. It's one of my favorite exciting projects I think we've done. And uh, I hope people really appreciate it. I know some people are not going to be happy with us in some of the selections, right? I mean, that's always the case in 
these type of things, but that's what kind of makes it fun. I know. So it's, it's something I'm looking forward to. And you get to go get go back and get some great highlights. It's uh, it, it should be a lot of fun. So we're looking forward to like, that. Obviously, be, and we also like we'll bring up like who's the for example who's the football player of the decade? Who's the volleyball player of the decade? Right. Who's you know et cetera et cetera. So it's gonna be interesting. All right. So we'll have that to look forward to over the holidays, and of course that comes after the bowl game, the Gasparilla Bowl on Monday at two thirty p.m. We will be previewing that game on a special edition of the Black and Gold Bannerette podcast which comes out Sunday morning. Probably come out actually close to Sunday lunchtime, but make sure you look out for that. Give it a quick listen. We'll have Murph on from Tampa to talk about it. Uh, and uh, and there's plenty more also coming after the game. We'll have a little uh, debrief from it um, as well. So, and a wrap of the football season. Follow us at blackandgoldbannerette.com. We are UCF's home on the SB Nation network. And also, don't forget to uh, follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret for all the latest. And Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret as well. All right, Eric. Enjoy the game. Uh, we'll talk to you on Sunday, all right? Sounds good, Jeffrey. All right. And thank you for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll catch you for the pre- bowl preview on Sunday. <laughs>